Welcome to the Black Then, Black Now podcast. We're giving you an insight into the conversations between generations, the ones you may have at a dinner table or on your living room sofa. From discussing changing dating culture to the persistence of racism in football, we're concerned about looking at change and continuity. What was it like then? How is it now? On today's episode, I speak with Isaiah about education from the perspective of a student and an academic. We met when I was testing out the London Interdisciplinary School, where Isaiah is a founder and faculty member. In the episode, we discussed the complexity of black excellence and whether there's a problem within education in regards to race. Today, I'm joined by Isaiah. We're going to talk about all things education. And so, Isaiah, why don't you introduce yourself? Awesome. Hello. It's such a pleasure to be here. So I am Isaiah Wellington Lynn. I love storytelling and I see myself, um, I really aspire to become one of the most accessible storytellers of of our generation. And by that, I mean telling stories um, about people, products and problem solving in the most inspiring, compelling, captivating and also inclusive accessible and relatable ways and so I suppose I do that in three different ways. I uh, will be starting my PhD in the anthropology of belonging, social mobility and the precarity of privilege at the University of Oxford this October. um, I am a brand strategist, anthropologist in residence and community builder at 21st Century Brand, a brand strategy company founded by the former chief marketing officer at Airbnb and I suppose Um, The most relevant for this, which is in the context I met Antonia, is as a faculty member at the London Interdisciplinary School, where I teach how anthropology and product design can help us tackle some of the most complex, complicated problems that we face as a society. Wow. And amazing. So as you can see, we're in great company today, talking about education with Isaiah. And to kick off our conversation, I want to ask you... um, how like what role do you see education playing in your life but also in society mm. i think education has played so many different roles throughout my journey so far i think when i first when i was younger education played two roles it played a role of first of all self education and so by that it meant understanding my heritage which is a uh, uh, jamaican but also beyond that, understanding my Afro-Caribbean heritage more broadly, um, understanding what it means to occupy space in, in my kind of identity, um, what it means to have a sense of legacy and heritage and educating myself around that. Uh, thankfully, through my mom and through going to Saturday schools and being a part of Pan-African movements growing up. So that was kind of one realm of education when I was younger. And then I suppose the other realm, the more traditional mainstream realm was education throughout school. And to be honest, my experience throughout school was very taxing, toxic, and had the potential to be very damaging. I was severely bullied by uh, teachers at my primary school, uh, which got to the point where it deeply affected my health Um, I developed really bad anxiety. I developed uh, a stutter and it got to the point where my mom had to move me to another school 
in year six. So like after October year six, like she took me to Jamaica for a period of healing. And then when I got back to London, I went to a different school. So it was very kind of, it was quite a bad experience. And then I suppose in ways, some of those negative experiences continue throughout my secondary school. And so to be honest, like that side of education was quite traumatic. It felt that I had quite a, yeah, an, an uncomfortable relationship with education and more specifically um, secondary education. I felt that there was a lot of, there were very low expectations of someone like me. And by that, I mean someone who um, was a young kind of black boy of Caribbean heritage, uh, who grew up in a kind of low income deprived part of London. And so there were a lot of low expectations that came with that experience. But throughout school, I always tried to navigate and circumvent those negative expectations and mitigate them with test results and with, you know, always being curious in class. And so, yeah, my experience throughout my early years of education was twofold, positive in this kind of self-education sense, but quite negative in the formal education sense. And I suppose since starting university, my relationship with education has just blossomed in a really beautiful way, so much so that I suppose I'm now working at an education technology company, which, you know, in and of itself shows that I love education and shows that my relationship with education has transformed into something really beautiful. I see education as so pivotal to us understanding ourselves, understanding the relationship we have with other people and understanding the relationship we have with the material world. And I'm really keen to ensure that we can create a society where people love to be educated, love to ask questions, love to be curious, um, almost also love to be wrong. And by that, I mean, love to have a perspective and then welcome that perspective being challenged and elevated. And I think in society, we can be so scared of being wrong. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, maybe because it destabilizes our sense of security or our foundation or our self-esteem or confidence. But I'm really keen to explore what can happen when we welcome having a new perspective. And I think that's incredibly important and that kind of shapes why I pursue what I pursue. Well, it's a lot to, to, to talk about there. I think I want to talk about um, kind of, do you think there's something fundamentally wrong with education that kind of your experiences that you talked about, about this kind of a bit, a bit institutional racism, essentially like mm. being, um, underestimated being categorized and, and having expectations put on you um, why is that so common like and with your position in um, LIS how is LIS being a new university taking a different approach and trying to tackle that mm. so is the first question how so can you repeat the first question yeah sure so is that a fundamental problem with education mm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, is there a fundamental problem with education? Mm, the honest answer is I'm not sure. And I say I'm not sure because 
I'm not sure what that problem is. I feel like there is a problem. There is a fundamental problem. But if I were to pinpoint what that specific problem is, I wouldn't be able to do that. A couple of ideas come to mind around access to education, what education we learn, who gets to teach and who gets to educate, and whether those educators are in a position to educate the people that they end up teaching. And by that, I mean, have they deeply considered their own biases and their own forms of subtle oppression that they then may project onto young people? And I think those are the questions and ideas that I have at the moment. So I think there is actually a fundamental problem. It isn't just one problem, it's a multifaceted problem. It could so much so that it could be a problem that we tackle at LIS as a complex problem. So um, yeah, I think there is a problem. And then in terms of how LIS is, is I suppose, approaching this problem, perhaps it'd be helpful for me to share a bit about LIS's journey so far and why we were set up and what our ambition is. And so we were founded a couple of years ago by um, three amazing people, uh, Ed Fido, Christopher Pearson, and then Carl Gombrich was brought on as well. And um, across, across those three people, they have a very kind of broad... Uh, passionate, but also uh, deep expertise when it comes to building things from scratch. So that really inspired me from the onset. And I, I think what's really special about LIS is the way I relate to it, at least, is we set out to create a new education system, one that encourages and fuels and facilitates curiosity in the real world through being able to explore and apply how different disciplinary perspectives can help us tackle problems. And so very different to the current educational systems that we have at places like UCL, um, Oxbridge, and, and, and so forth. LIS is set out to be a problem-based curriculum where students will tackle real world problems like how do we measure unhappiness how do we tackle unfairness and you know you were part of that whole process in our sprint earlier this year and so you more than anyone can speak to that experience um how do we build ethical supply chains how do we tackle knife crime in london how do we kind of care for the elderly uh what do we think about sustainability so really kind of deep impactful questions that you know are high value questions in society and we set out to create a space where students can explore and tackle these problems and ultimately add real value to the world. It's not necessarily about writing an essay to get a grade, although that should be an amazing byproduct, but it's more so about writing an essay or producing a piece of work, whether that's a portfolio, a podcast or a presentation that these young people can actually use to then apply for jobs or start a company or start a foundation and so that's how I kind of see LIS and so in terms of how we are tackling some of these problems in within the current kind of current education system uh, I can only speak for myself and how I think about solving these problems I, I think it, it's it's so beautiful that we have such a talented brilliant 
diverse team because everyone would probably have a different response to this question. But at least in my case, I go about tackling it through. So in the case of, let's say, who is qualified to teach and and educate other people, I see myself very much so as as a facilitator and I want to be a facilitator. I think when it comes to teaching, and again, I'm sure everyone would have a different perspective on this, and maybe it's because of my relative um, kind of novelty to academia, but just based on the experiences I had as an undergrad at, at Harvard and at UCL, I think some people can be very, some professors can be very stuck in their ways and can create learning experiences that are so misaligned with what students actually need, want and desire from a learning experience. And so as a facilitator, I want to be someone who can um, experiment with new ways of teaching, welcome feedback from students on a regular basis, um, and then build on that kind of co-design teaching in a way that fuels even more discussion. And so that's how I think about, I suppose, um, legitimizing my position as an educator facilitator being one where I welcome feedback and can hone and harness um, a learning experience that benefits and serves everyone depending on uh, where they are in their learning experience. In terms of things like bias and oppression, um, I think it's incredibly important for educators in any space to have a space of kind of self-reflexivity whether that's in the process of coaching or therapy or accountability groups. And so in my case, where the kind of spaces that I have where I can think through maybe my own biases or projections and deal with them is, is in coaching and in therapy. And I think that's so important because we are ultimately just humans and we absorb so much from the world around us. We absorb different energies, different perspectives. We absorb kind of thoughts and ideas and ways of doing things that we don't really have the chance to question. And I think having a space like therapy or coaching encourages that process of self-reflection, self-reflexivity, and being able to question the things that you thought are facts. And I think in many times you realize that, well, I, I don't actually know why I believe what I believe and that process of uncovering it it is, is really beautiful. And so, yeah, those are just a couple of the ways that I personally am tackling uh, some of the issues in the education system. Mm. It's quite interesting hearing you talk about, like, as you said, tackling those problems. And because you said I, is it like, or is it is it you driving that or is it the faculty collectively? Mm. Yeah, good question. So again, I can, I, I would say as a, as a team, everyone is very keen to not reproduce the current educational system because that would be quite redundant, um, but also very easy to do because it's what we know, right? But at the same time, I think each faculty is approaching it in a very different way, which is so great because I get to learn continuously. Um, so I would say there's a culture of of being very critical and self-reflective and wanting to challenge ourselves to think about what the student experience will be. Um, and then personally, I am responsible for kind of uh, what we call student-centered design. And so that's part of, I suppose, one of the faculty principles where 
each faculty member has a kind of set principle that they champion and mine, as I said, is student-centered design. And so I suppose I'm over-indexed in ways when it comes to wanting to create a student experience, student learning experience that meets students' needs. Now, I want to talk about something that you mentioned earlier about kind of trying to kind of in kind of tackling the expectations that were put on to you kind of working really hard and like showing like these are my amazing grades and like look at me now kind of in a in a way and I, I really resonate with that as well um and it makes me think of black excellence and I want to hear your opinions mm. on 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 the term and and how we kind of yeah what do you think about black excellence mm. so it's something that I'm still navigating to be honest because I think to be completely honest, my experience throughout school wasn't a seamless one. I didn't kind of always get the grades that I wanted to or aspired for. And I think that made it very difficult because although I may have wanted, although I did want to get straight A stars throughout GCSEs, yeah, yeah and, and straight A stars um, in A level, that wasn't my reality. And so that made it very difficult because at times I felt like perhaps these teachers are right perhaps I don't perhaps I'm thinking too much of myself perhaps there is some level of um yeah perhaps I'm just not as smart as I would like to be and it was difficult to deal with this idea of um knowing that society doesn't have high expectations of me and then on the other end having family friends and some teachers who saw my academic potential and wanted to push me there but not necessarily having the grades consistently to show that I could be this like high academic potential person so that made it very difficult and made my experience very choppy in ways um I recently wrote uh, a little self-reflection piece about rejection and I yeah I'm excited for the day that I can share it reading it back I realized well I've still got a bit of uh, let's say trauma to work through when it comes to rejection but all of that to say my experience throughout school wasn't this like seamless one and I don't want to give the impression that it was it was very difficult it was a lot of like having to a lot of like questioning my potential my ability a lot of having to try and convince people of my potential um at times having to um kind of reset and that whole experience can be so damaging and so painful for for one's self-esteem um and so I, I think it's really important to mention that as opposed to just like skipping past all of that and saying yeah I studied at UCL and ended up graduating with you know um an incredibly high like first class degree like yeah that's true and yes I did have amazing experiences throughout university and um yes I did win academic prizes and yes I did win scholarships and yes I did end up you know raising a hundred thousand dollars to study at Harvard and yes I did have an amazing experience at Harvard um but I also had very difficult and choppy experiences before that. And I think it can be so easy to feel like, yeah, that experience is packaged away. Um, I can forget about it because I've now got the accolades to show that I was always destined to be in these institutions and in these spaces. But to be honest, that wasn't my reality. 
And so in terms of Black Joy, my experience, or yeah, Black Joy, Black Excellence, um, my experience of Black Excellence is, is one that I think speaks to the reality of having to overcome hurdles, um, hurdles that perhaps anyone could face, but I would say more specifically hurdles that for me felt seeped in things outside of my control, like racism, um, classism, perhaps even. Um, and so that was very difficult to navigate. So yeah, black excellence for me means recognizing um, potential, but also recognizing that I and we may have to overcome a range of kind of unsolicited barriers in order to get to this place of black excellence. So I think in a lot of the spaces I'm in, I'm around people who are pursuing their, their careers and just achieving so much that in ways normalizes black excellence for me, which I think is should be the case. But I think it's also important to recognize that that's not everyone's experience. And just because you may not get straight A stars or straight A's or even straight B's, um, it doesn't mean that you're not excellent. And I think I'm really keen to explore all of the different ways that we can be intelligent and we can add value to society. I, I think there's a risk that the term black excellence can become very elitist and can in ways exclude people who have just as much potential, just as much value, just as much creativity, but perhaps haven't had the same opportunities to see, to realize their potential. And so, yeah, quite a long answer, but that is my complicated relationship to black excellence. And yeah, I, I, I really do agree with, with what, you, what you've just said, because I think rejection as well and like this really narrow like, way we think about black excellence I think it can be quite damaging um because it's true it's like why is it so so confined to this one particular ideal um and I think yeah it's unrealistic because like it, it you know things aren't straight and narrow things are mm-hmm. you know messy and like you fail you you pick yourself up you try again like and that's very real for me like I and I think that's why like we need to reconfigure how we think about black excellence because it's not true to reality like mm-hmm. people when I say oh yeah I'm gonna go in Cambridge like oh my god that's so amazing but the reality is first time I applied I got rejected so mm-hmm. but because of that don't want to damage that perception of myself mm-hmm. I don't often it takes me a while to say that so yeah, I think we need to be true to reality and, yeah, be less, you know, yeah, it's, the world is messy. Um, Thank you for sharing that as well, because, I, you know, I think that will inspire so many people um, just knowing that you can. It's so funny if I may share a quick anecdote. Um, when I when I first did my, when I got my GCSE results and before I got my results, I posted on Facebook at the time. So it was like 2011, back in the day when Facebook was the only social media platform to use. I posted something like, um, just want to like early congratulate everyone who gets their GCSE results today, whether you take the fast train and end up getting your desired um, grades and end up like on this fast stream to where you want to go, um, or you end up taking the slower train and may have to take a couple of more uh, stops. I just want to say that I think you'll still get to your end your end destination and that's so um, so amazing and something to celebrate and then I opened my GCSE results and I didn't get the straight A stars that I wanted and I deleted the status <laughs> because I was like bruh no nah, this is not this was meant to be for other people not for me <laughs> and 
and it was like such a humbling experience and I thought about it the other day and how in ways like I have now ended up at the destinations that I wanted although I had to take the slower train and so it's so funny how in ways I was like talking to myself yeah oh yeah that was 10 years ago yeah I was talking to myself 10 years ago when I posted that status and yeah in hindsight I look back and think well you should have just kept it up but to your point around not wanting to change people's perception of you I just deleted it because I was like nah this can't be my story (laughs) it's a difficult one and I think yeah because I really we said about barriers and how and again it's like it's very black excellence it's it's really difficult because it's, it's again it's like achieving like amazing things but also achieving those amazing things and overcoming barriers and it's like I think it is the goalpost is just so high and it's just mm. we need to just yeah so ages ago we were talking about kind of um so LIS and how mm. it's revolves around solving problems and I think that's an amazing strategy and that's what really drew me to the university in the first place mm. yeah. And I think because university, how we conceive of it, like normally is like, oh, you do, you learn a degree. It doesn't have to be re- re- related to your um, career, but you just pick mm. up transferable skills. Um, and we get, so we see university as like an investment to your future. Um, and in that like line of thinking, why is university not free? If it's an investment mm. to your future and therefore an investment to wider society. Why is it not free? Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> why is it not free? Hmm. It's so funny because when my mom, well, I suppose in my mom's generation, my parents' generation, when they went or could have gone to university, not that they did at that time, um, they were paid to go to university. Yeah. And it's like, well, how have we gone from being paid to now paying <laughs> so much more than they were initially being paid? So that doesn't make sense in my mind. Um this is a hard question. Why, why, why do we pay? I'm gonna say that. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure why we pay. I'm not sure. I can't answer that. I haven't done enough research to know why we pay. I mean, there are obvious answers that I could give, like you pay to main to kind of maintain the university like most universities are public and so the income that they receive is used to fund um, building projects and fund student spaces and it's all reinvested into the student body I think you know that's that's part of it Um, but I can't give a a deeper answer than that to be honest a more thoughtful answer than that because I was like, um, I'm, right now I'm trying to apply for some scholarships because mm. I've come to a sudden realisation that, oh yeah, university is really, really expensive. Mm. Um, and you know, you have a very close relationship with that. Um, mm. And it just, yeah, it's university, why is it so inaccessible? Why is it so, like, I, okay, maybe pay, but why is it so expensive when these institutions are so rich? Like, you went to Harvard, like, that is it's such a rich institution. You're going to Oxford, another massively rich institution even if we have to pay they could you know they could give you more money I don't get it Mm. yeah I'm (laughs) I mean this was like a bit of a conflict of interest right because I'm simultaneously part of the team at a new university but then I will also be a student and so I feel like I can relate to it in, in from kind of both ends I should also say that um for for Oxford I got a full scholarship um and so 
thankfully in this scenario <laughs> I won't have a crowdfunding campaign I'm yeah. so grateful because I'm still recovering from my last one like four years ago but yeah I, su- I suppose like it doesn't it is confusing to me um it was very painful f- f- kind of being a place where I had to be super vulnerable and open with complete strangers and ask people to like support my potential and invest in that potential without being able to offer like equity in me I can't say oh here's here's my finger you Mm -hmm. know like has some equity I I can't do that and so that was very uncomfortable and it did make me question a lot like why first of all what am I paying for well I kind of knew what I was paying for but um why is it so expensive and the only way I could kind of make sense of it was to make the most out of university and so when I was as a student I like at UCL I joined pretty much every club society that I had a rem- a tiny remote interest in and I went to as many like open seminars and conferences as I could I stayed in intercollegiate halls so I lived with students from LSE, Kings, SOAS, Buckback, um, as well as UCL and so I just thought if I'm going to pay this much money or, you know of course like I didn't necessarily see how much money I was paying because I I had a student loan but I thought if I'm going to pay this much then I want to like enjoy everything that this university has to offer um I also traveled a ton throughout university I went all I went oh, wow yeah I went to like um France a couple of times Spain Barbados Hawaii the Dominican Republic the U.S. obviously like quite a lot and um it was important for me to just make the most out of what it means to be a student and what comes with that uh freedom and I also interned as as I shared with you before in like a bunch of industries from investment banking to corporate law to technology so working at Airbnb in San Francisco working at a venture capital firm working at Columbia and NYU and all of those experiences made university feel worthwhile for me so now that I look back at my student debt (laughs) I feel like it was it's not that like it's experiences that I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to enjoy and experience and it was so worth it and so yeah when I think about the fees now for for others and I suppose to those who are starting their university journeys I just think if you're going to pay that amount of money like just make sure you rinse every experience possible and create experiences I think that's the jam and beauty of it really like create the experience you want to have whether that's like brainstorming before you start every year like what experiences do I want to have this year and then like checking in with yourself every couple of months to see how you can make those experiences happen like I also founded a non-profit when I was at Harvard and the basic premise was I had just got rejected from um, this like fellowship retreat um, that involved spending like five days in the Redwoods in California with a bunch of like mission driven technologists. And I was like, that is amazing. I want to do that. And I got to the last round of the application process and then I got caught and I was like, oh my, okay, I'm just going to create my own. And I just created it with a fellow reject and we were like, yeah, we're going to create our own fellowship. We called it uh, Redefining Boundaries, and it was basically a fellowship for Black technologists. So I raised about $20,000 from Facebook, Airbnb, 
um, a bunch of venture capital firms, eBay, um, Google, and that funded 15 fellows from the UK and the US to, to fly out to San Francisco. And we lived in a house together, met black executives at tech companies throughout the day, like zipped around in, in Ubers throughout the day. And then in the evenings had dinners and had really powerful conversations that I called vibranium talks around like, what does it mean to be a black technologist? What is our responsibility? And so I share all of that because I literally want created that experience and that opportunity. And as a student, you have so much agency, like you have companies spend, like tech companies in particular and investment banks spend probably millions a year on recruiting students. And so when you think about how much potential they see in you there's a way to like flip it on its head and say oh cool like if they see that I have this much potential what's stopping me from creating a non-profit or a company and getting them to fund it if they have access to this talent like just give them what they want really mm-hmm. and uh, on the flip side you get to have phenomenal experiences so yeah all of that to say I think if you're going to pay extortionate fees first of all try and get scholarships if you can I know it's not possible for everyone but apply to every single scholarship you can. Um, I'd like to give a plug to the Black Heart Foundation, Rick Lewis. They're doing such amazing work and trying to make education as accessible as possible. And I'm sure you know the Stormzy Scholarship and Formula One scholarships. Um, and the Amos Bursary, like that's also a phenomenal program that I, yeah, I mean, we'll have a conversation about this offline, but I would highly recommend the Amos Bursary um, to anyone interested. It's open to all genders. And so, yeah, apply to as many scholarships as you can. And then if you end up having to pay fees, just try and have the most amazing um, out of this world university experience that you want. Amazing advice. Um, Yeah, I think that's all my questions, really. Um, Any any last words you want to leave us on? First of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been so enjoyable. And yeah, I feel really honoured and grateful that you asked me to feature in this. I think it's so important. Um, Last words would be keep redefining boundaries. Don't feel limited or confined by what you see around you. I think we live in a world where we can create our reality in many ways. Um, and I, I say that because I feel super grateful that I feel I'm living my dream right now. I'm doing all of the work that I want to do, um, sitting on the boards of two social mobility charities that I care about deeply. And I just get to meet so many amazing, inspiring people like you on a daily basis. And it just reminds, it just kind of makes me feel like I am exactly where I want to be and where I need to be. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited that we'll be studying together, kind of together yeah. uh, on this next journey. You have to come down to, to Oxford um, at some point and I will definitely be coming to visit you and some of my other friends at Cambridge. So yeah, so excited to stay in touch and see you flourish. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. The Black Then Black Now podcast could not be possible without the support of Do It Now Now who have created the Voltage Revolution to give young Black London creatives opportunities and tools to give them a foot in the door. Make sure you keep updated on Black Then Black Now by following our socials at WeVoltage on Twitter and Instagram, where we'll be posting information about the team that has put this all together and exclusive behind the scenes footage.